Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and over the years of recording all of these episodes, there's like, what, over 150 at this point? I probably should know our numbers a little better than that. But, you know, I'm just here to push record. That's all I do, right? Uh, but over over the years, there's like a handful of episodes that stick out to me that I, know, that I will refer back to over and over and over. This today's episode that you are about to listen to is one of those episodes. Seriously, while I was editing, so I usually I try to like pull quotes out, right? Because that's what you're supposed to do to get people to listen. What a racket. Anyways, <laughs> but I'm always pulling these quotes out because I'm like, oh, this is good. And this is good. Guys, it was like the entire episode. I truly looked back and I felt like I had pulled the entire episode. So this conversation with our friend Amanda, you might remember her from last year. She wrote a book called A Hole in the World, all about grief rituals, which was absolutely fascinating. The book itself, the interview, all of it. Um, but she's back again because somehow, I don't understand how, she's written another book. It's called Holy Unhappiness. Now, when we really get into this book, this conversation it goes places that I just, I, I myself was not prepared for, but it's really those moments that I'm like, gosh, no, no one told me this for, for serious. Like, is that a phrase for serious? I meant for real. It came out that way. We're going to roll with it. Right. But we talk about, okay, that word calling, even saying it. Okay. It comes with some pressure and I don't like it. And I don't, I just, I think we need to reframe it. We need to have a different conversation. That's what Amanda does. Um, we talk about how, what about the days that you wake up and you're like, okay, I'm really grateful for what's going on in my life, but it's also not what I thought it would be. I don't feel the way I thought I would feel and how those feelings can determine so much if left not reined in, right? If left without question. So how do we ask the right questions? Okay. And what's, what is the most important thing to develop in your twenties? That's a question we answer, right? Because here we sit in our mid thirties, Amanda and I both, and we think about our twenties. And I mean, those were decisions were made so fast, right? Like you're just, it's one thing after another. And you're just, there's so much going on that you don't have time to think about it. But then you get to your thirties and you're like, wait a second, how do I actually feel about all these decisions? You know, what is, what happens if I still feel a little restless? Have I done something wrong? The truth is no, it's, it's because we've been sold this bill of goods that is not exactly accurate to what it means to follow Jesus and live this life at the same time. So without telling you everything, I'm just saying this is an episode you want to stick around for. And this is an episode you want to share with your people because we talk about stewarding seasons. Well, whatever season you're in, we talk about, we know what it's like to feel like it, like you're bored, like you don't know what's next, but you want to know all of those things. It's normal. It doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong, but we really talk about what does stewarding it well look like. I'm giving, I'm giving too much away. Okay. I'm just, that's all there is. I'm giving too much away. I'm going to stop here. I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode with my friend, Amanda. Amanda, you're up there in the mountains. Of course, you have a thick accent. Yeah, I've lived in this area like most of my life. You know what I mean? So it's like it is it's in it. But when I'm talking to my relatives from like the holler, it gets real pronounced, I'll say. 
<laughs> well, and the truth of it is, honestly, I am in Knoxville, Tennessee. We've talked about this before. So we're uh-huh, very close uh-huh, to uh-huh. each other. And I yeah, don't, yeah. the problem with podcasting is you have to listen to yourself. And I'm like, oh, do wow. I really sound like that? Like for the word, for example, Shh. H-I-M. How do you say H-I-M? Him. Okay. See, I say Eam. I was talking, Aim. I was talking to him. Well, if it's mid-sentence, yeah, I will say talking to him. We actually had some issues during my audio book of like pronunciations where the, the producer from New York was like, that's not how you say that. And I'm like, that is how you say that. <laughs> I can't remember the exact words, but I went toe-to-toe. I'm like, this is, can't be acting like hillbilly speak ain't real English. Because it is. <laughs> my people understand me, okay? And yes, that's all that yes. matters. That's but all that's, that matters. Amanda, here's what I can't believe. You released a book, Hole in the World, like a week ago, right? And I now I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> and now <laughs> you have released another book, and I don't understand <laughs> how you made <laughs> that happen. Who was advising me? Um, no, the, the deal is is that the books were like um, already in process and being written when I signed. It was a two book contract, and okay. so it, you know, even though it was still a hustle to get them both done on time, it's not like I was starting from scratch. And you know what I mean? How happened. did you get from one concept to the other? Because you have to get so deep into mm-hmm. so hole in the world was unpacking grief rituals and understanding your own grief within the process. I have given yeah. to that book that book to multiple people, by the way. Oh, thank you so much. Thank it's just you. like grief is one of those things that's just really hard to try to pretend like you understand. Yeah. And so yeah. my go to is like, I can't say that I completely understand how you feel. Yeah. But this book, this this understands how you feel. So read this. Yeah. 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 But you go from grief and, you know, like the the deepness of that to another pretty deep unpacking in holy unhappiness, right? Where yeah, it, it's like you're you'll be known as that girl that just goes super deep. <laughs> I know. I was like, Tim, I saw my husband. Maybe the next book I write will be like the history of Ferris wheels or cupcakes, the circus, you know what I mean? real or Tim. not. Hey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Who invented sprinkles? Um, <laughs> But I, I think, yeah, I, I mean, the truth is like this most recent book I just released, I've been working on for five or six years. Like this is kind of the first book that my sister was encouraging me to write. I, one of the last conversations I ever had with her was about the outline of this book and what it could look like and what it can mean. And um, that was kind of the, the, the plan all along was to write this book. And a, a hole in the world was really like this rabbit hole that I was speaking of a hole in the world. It was a rabbit hole that I went down. It was a side project that I kind of wrote for my just my own self in the isolation of COVID and the aftermath of my grief. And that's the one that the publisher felt like was most important for that moment, I guess, because of this collective grief that we were all experiencing because of the pandemic. But I was always cheating on a hole in the world when I was supposed to be finishing that one by writing this current book in my head and and going back to that one and um, and so, it, yeah, it, it's really been the one that's been kind of the stone in my shoe for mm-hmm. the last mm-hmm. five or six years. Yeah. yeah. Since it was on your mind throughout writing the entirety of Hole in the World, especially since you did both at the same time, which my brain cannot compute. How did they overlap for you? Sure. Yeah. You know, but but both books, uh, that's the key to writing a book like authors. Now, you got to find like, what is your main message? What's your main takeaway? And I, I actually found writing a hole in the world was a little bit easier because the, the main 
a takeaway was so clear. It's like, this is a book about the, a very specific experience of, of grief and, and loss of life and bereavement, whereas holy unhappiness is just like, generally, life is hard. Let's talk about it. And so it was uh, writing this book, to be honest with you, was a bit like herding cats, which may be why it took me five or six years to write. It was a big it was a big concept to try to say, I want to talk about what what do we think about blessing? What do we think about abundance? What do we what are the expectations we have of what it means to be happy and what faith is going to feel like? And that that is it's big. It's a lot. It's it's a lot to wrap your brain around. There's so many paths you could take on that one. And so trying to figure out what exactly do I want to say with my specific story was really hard to do. You know what I mean? And it, yeah, because it's one of the first times, and that's probably why I already have people in mind for this book, including myself, mm-hmm. that you talk about this approach to faith as if it's a formula, right? Like, mm-hmm. like God is this, mm-hmm. this cosmic vending machine. And if we yeah, enter like yeah. the right numbers and put in yeah, our yeah. effort, that what we want is going to drop down into the return, yep. right? Yeah, like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah. yeah, that's exactly what I wanted. And the tension lies in when what we want gets stuck in the ring thing, you know, just yeah, to take this yeah. analogy entirely too far. Yeah. And then um, you start shaking that vending yeah, machine and then, yeah. pretty hard. <laughs> See, thank you. And then it falls on top of you. <laughs> and there's a call to emergency services. See, it's a and whole, and you still don't get what you want at the end of the day. But right. it is this, I mean, you start to feel, you know, like slighted or ignored or, mm-hmm. and it just creates this overall. And I've had this conversation so often lately of, women in my life who are like, I just feel this overall distrust for God now because yeah, yeah. I, and they, a lot of them won't, don't want to say it out loud. So I, I like to say it for them because I'm helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we think, you know, why would I give you my prayers? You're not, I'm doing what you asked, but you're not doing what I asked. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's but right. That, that concept is just so powerful, especially if you were raised in the church or raised in the South at all. How, yeah. when did yeah, you start yeah. noticing that pattern? When were you like, wait a second, I'm looking at this all wrong. Yeah. Well, I think it was when I kind of hit my my early to mid thirties and I was kinda, of, you know, looking back on my very long life at that point. It feels long. Okay. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you call it what is that, a quarter life crisis? I don't know. It, it, but yeah, I was looking back and saying, Okay, I've done all the right things, right? Like I thought that I had quote unquote found my calling. I was working in ministry. I married a nice Christian man. I had been equally yoked. I am involved in church. And all of these things. And yet I was still experiencing emotional difficulty. It wasn't even that like things were going catastrophically wrong. It was just that my feelings weren't always pleasant or always fulfilling or life wasn't kind of this exciting adventure with the Lord and kingdom building that I was kind of told it would be if I signed up for all this stuff. And it, it really, I mean, what, what finally was made it possible for me to finish this book, I think, was my experience with grief. Because that's when I realized, oh my goodness, like grief, it's it's always strange to say I was disappointed in the experience of grief. I don't know. I wasn't expecting a party, but I did think. Well, like closure at a minimum with like closure, a cake, purpose, redemption, Mm -hmm. silver linings. I, I realized that I had these expectations that like if if something really bad happened to me, if I lost someone or something I really love, yes, I would feel sad. Yes, it would feel hard. But my sound theology of suffering would buoy me up emotionally, that I would feel the peace that passes understanding if I stayed faithful to pray and stay faithful in my walk with the Lord. 
I would feel better. And I just didn't. Grief was torture. Grief was awful. Uh, and I, I and so then I thought, okay, well, what have I done wrong? Have I failed? Has God failed? Is God even real? Like what what's happening here? And that's when I realized, like, I think we just have this this concept that if we again enter that formula, whether that's like good decisions or daily quiet time or church involvement, whatever, not only are good things going to happen to us, but we're going to feel a certain way. We're going to have an emotionally pleasant emo- like life for the, for the rest of our life. And that's just not case. Mm-hmm. And it makes, it makes so much sense, Amanda, that you address this in your early 30s or mid-30s. Like, I just turned 35 this year, right? So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm squarely in the mids now. Yep, yep, yep. And I look back and I think that decade of 20s, you're just moving at such a rapid pace because so much happens in such a small amount of time. Like you're making all Mm -hmm. these decisions, you're starting your job, you're, you know, Mm -hmm. getting into a relationship, maybe you're having kids, like all of this is happening. And it's in your 30s that you're finally like, wait a second, why do I feel some kind of way about all of this? Like, why? Yes. Like, yes, yes. What what just happened? (laughs) And... Why am I feeling like this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're starting to take inventory a little bit. Okay, it's like, okay, I've made all these decisions. I've done all these things. I've got some years behind me. Am I happy? And I woke up one morning, like next to this wonderful man who I loved and was, you know, a cute baby and like a job that I loved. And I was like, I'm not always happy. Like, and 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 that feels, that actually feels so icky to say, like, I feel the ickiness of it even as I say it, because I mean, I've worked in humanitarian aid, I've worked in social services, like I know what it looks like for people to live a life of true deprivation and marginalization and suffering. And so then, then, of course, naturally, the feelings of guilt came. Like, I feel guilty that I'm not always happy in my relationship when my husband's like pretty nice overall, you know what I mean? Like, I feel guilty that I'm not happy every, like, he's a nice man, why am I not happy? Or like my kids are healthy. Why is motherhood so exhausting? I should just be happy. My kids are healthy or I have a roof over my head, you know, but I think that's when I began to realize that this kind of myth of the American dream, this isn't just church culture, this American idolization of happiness, of self-actualization, of living an important life, of living a life where you stand out and you kind of make your craft your own identity. And I just woke up one morning exhausted from all of that and and kind of wanted the freedom to just be able to say, actually, sometimes this is hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes relationships are just hard. And sometimes work is hard, even if it's work you love. And life isn't always exciting. Sometimes it's boring. And I, I just, I didn't feel the freedom to just admit that. I was going to say, know? it's hard to say that. Like the ickiness for me in that comes with the guilt. Because when yeah. I say it, yes. I feel like this immediate guilt of, but you have all these good things. And I do. I yeah. see. I yeah. do. I see. I recognize. I show gratitude for those. Yeah. yeah. But it feels like you should be guilty. And I think it goes back to that, you know, that emotional prosperity that mm-hmm. you talk mm-hmm. about in the book is when you're told that this is what should happen. You yeah. feel a little bit guilty that maybe you've yeah. done something wrong for it not yeah. to yeah. be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't know how to do the both hand very well. I don't think, you know, I, I I think, you know, I felt like I had to, like, I got to be able to categorize my life right now. It's either hashtag blessed or I'm living the abundant life or I'm happy or I'm miserable, deprived, unhappy. It's, it's one or the other. It's good or bad, good or bad. And, and we don't really, we, we don't have this space in our brains, I think, to hold that things can be both. Like uh, marriage has been one of the greatest gifts and graces of my life. It's also been one of the most challenging. And so has motherhood. Oh my goodness. 
we don't like God, we got to start talking about this. That parenting is like, it is the most exhilarating, euphoric experience of your life. Simultaneously, the most exhausting, draining, self-diminishing experiences and of the your reality life. It's that both. it's it's uphill. Like I just yeah. I just hit reset. But since we've talked last, I had a baby. Surprise to you and me. I, so I heard. A surprise, oh, surprise congrats, to both of us. Yes. Yay. And it, I'm just reminded that now that my kids are older and I actually have to parent them, I'm not parenting yeah, a newborn. Yeah. I'm just keeping him alive. Like I'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. about survival yeah. for him. Yes. But for yeah. the others, I'm like, I don't like, how do I make you into good human beings? Like it just gets, I know I get it. It's it, this uphill concept. Yes. It's, it's just, it's deeply, deeply challenging, but because of this, like, again, it's this, autonomous sense of autonomy and agency and upward mobility that is baked into the American psyche of like, if you just make good decisions, you're going to be able to just add good, you're just adding good things to your life. And children are kind of like this, like fun little add on to your life that they're going to make you, they're going to bring you happiness. They're going to bring you joy. And it's like, there's actually a lot of things in life that are still duties <laughs> that are we, we we are still bound by duty to one another and we don't like to think like that in america but but there's also a lot of beauty in the duties that oh rhymes. your next book right there this is beauty and the duty yep Except I think how it's... do you spell duty because <laughs> that could be sorry you might want it <laughs> no that's why i liked it beauty and the duty is what because honestly, it is, it can go both ways. Let's be honest. It really, it's really, can. it's both. But I'm just saying all that to say is that I just, I, I, it was so freeing for me when someone told me it's okay to feel really, really sad and devastated that Rachel, your sister has died forever. It's okay to feel that way forever. It is okay to say that motherhood is hard sometimes. It's okay to say that ministry, even ministry love, is hard sometimes. And once I've just felt permission to feel sad that like my sadness wasn't a failure or a sign that I'd made a bad decision or I, you know, like that I made a wrong turn. A consequence. Yes, or a yeah. punishment or a con one. Once I felt the freedom to just kind of ride the ups and downs of life, knowing that that was all part of it, like, gosh, life has been a lot more freeing since then. I actually enjoy it more because I'm not always like bracing for the hard stuff. I'm just accepting that that's part of it. Like today was bad. Like my, like my kids didn't sleep last night. This, they're, they're old enough to be sleeping through the night. Let me tell you, they didn't sleep. I'm tired. And it's like, instead of saying like, well, what parenting hat? What do I need to do right? Why am I failing at this? I'm just like, oh yeah, it's a hard day. It's just hard. You know, and there's some okay. free, there's so much freedom in that. You yeah. Know? Well, that's, I mean, you think about what you know now, and then what you knew in your 20s, right? We were talking mm -hmm. about like when we look back and we think about everything that came at us. Because we have a yeah. lot of 20-something-year-old listeners who yeah. are honestly in the midst of feeling even the pressure around that word like calling. Because you yeah. said, you know, I was doing things that I love to do that I thought were right for me. And I still yeah. was like, okay, something, I'm still restless. I don't know what's yeah. happening. You yeah. know, they feel like they're on some timeline to figure it out and get it going and be good at it. What would yeah. you go back and say to 20-something-year-old Amanda? You so many her? things. <laughs> so many things. Reconsider whether or not you want to major in philosophy. Yeah. Also, like, gauchos. Let's not do gauchos. Like, yeah. That's, or, or skip the skinny jeans altogether. They're going to go out. It's going to be okay. You don't don't feel pressure. Then. Um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, I think I would just say decision-making 
you know, we, we have this privilege of so many options and so much autonomy and freedom of choice in, um, in American 21st century American culture for many of us. And, and it, it turns out studies are starting to show that even though it's a privilege, it is stressing us out quite a bit. Um, because we feel like our, our destiny's in our hands. And if we make a wrong move, then we're going to wreck our life. And I think I would just kind of try to say to her, like, please, please pay more attention to character formation than you do to your college major or the first job that you take. Or even, I mean, you know, I would tell myself, do, do marry Tim. That was a good call. But, you know, like who I'm going to marry and what, when are we going to get married and all these kind of details. It's more about about the, the the character that's being formed in you, because that's the character you're going to bring into marriage, no matter who you're married to. That's the character you're going to bring into the job, into the church, into the place, wherever you decide to live. And that that's the thing that's going to remain constant as all these things change. The, the details don't matter. I would say, don't worry about the paint color. Think about the architecture. You know, I think a lot about this house that I'm in, I'm sitting in right now, and how when we bought it, it was a complete dump like it was weird wood faux wood paneling red carpet it was just kind of disgusting but my husband walked in and he was like i have a vision the architecture's good the layout's good and most importantly it's seated on the most beautiful spot of land that's the big picture stuff of who you are matters so much more than the details of the paint color or the fixtures or things like that it always makes me crazy when i watch this home improvement shows and people are like well i don't like the pink walls and i'm like well paint you know paint them mm-hmm. yeah but i'm also you the know? worst because i'm like i can't live in this house i don't like where they have their table like, I just, right. I can't envision anything when we look at it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Right, right, But right. it's true. I mean, even when you think of, uh, I, this is a morbid concept, but it there's validity to it. Your funeral, for example. People, yeah. People, when they're talking about you, they're not going to talk about what you did. They're not going to yeah. talk about like, oh, she was really great at writing copy. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're more so going to be talking about who you were and how you showed yes. up in their lives. Yes. And the person. Yes. So I love that you said this is so much more about your character in this decade that so much yeah. happens than it yeah. is about are you getting the equation right and you're doing the right things or, you know, you found your calling because that is so pressurized. And yeah, you might feel like what you're doing or might not do is good enough. And then you let mm-hmm. that affect your character. Like you change who yeah. you are. Right. Yep. So. Yeah. When you when you think about that concept, especially for a generation that wants to do something that matters, because that mm-hmm. will still play into mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. part of your character is yeah. you want to impact people. How can we adjust that perspective to kind of redefine yeah. what really matters? Yeah. Gosh, I mean, humility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that's kind of a churchy answer, but pay attention to when Building the kingdom of God really becomes about building the kingdom of Amanda or insert your name. Because what I have realized as I've neared 40, which is really scary to say that my next birthday will be my 40th birthday, I'm realizing that I associate accolades and approval with impact. I mean, this is hard to admit. This is this is like a confessional booth all of a sudden, Callie. I'm very sorry. Um, but I have leveraged my relationship with the Lord, my ministry opportunities to actually build build a platform for myself or to get attention or for people to say, oh, you're you're just so spiritual or you're so wise or you're doing so much for the Lord. And that that feels good to my ego. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that we ever can fully separate like good motives from bad motives, like our 
our hearts are full and we're always going to be, you know, trying to achieve and make a name for ourselves. But just as soon as you can, I would tell 20-year-old me or your 20-year-old listeners, start paying attention to where it's your pride that's making decisions. It's your pride that's trying to achieve rather than listening and leaning into what might the Holy Spirit be nudging me to do right now? What's mine to do in this moment? How can I be faithful to dot, 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 as opposed to how can I be successful? But that is that that posture of humility to me is the most countercultural thing that Christians have to offer society, offer the world right now, because we live in a world that is all about self-creation and making a name for yourself and platforming yourself. We live in this attention economy. People literally have jobs now on social media as influencers, gaining attention, selling their products, selling their brand, and their brand is their life. Mm -hmm. Like, so to say it's not about me, it's about others, it's about serving, it's about the Lord, that is, that is going to be, speaking of uphill climbs, that's going to be an uphill climb to, to bear in mind and to maintain your whole life living in this 21st century American culture. And it's so hard even talking about, you know, you releasing these books. It just kind of sucks to be an author now, to be 100% Oof. honest, because yeah. there was, I was approached about doing a um, book proposal, right? So I write this book proposal, yeah. turn it in, do the whole thing. And book proposal, yeah. book proposals are kind of the worst. Like It's a lot of work. It is, it is a, a lot, lot of work. Of work. Yeah. I did the whole thing and they kind of laid out what the plan would be. Uh-huh. And I was just like, no, thank you. Because they're like, okay, we need to get your followers up to this amount. And then we'll yep. need to do this. You'll need to do this many things on social media and show up this way and get people's attention. Yeah. And I yeah. just was like, I truly it was just like, I don't I don't feel up to that. I, it's not, yeah. you know, like, yeah, I don't. And maybe one day I will. But yeah, yeah, because that is like you just said, it's this attention economy. And yeah, it just felt it, to me in the season of life I'm in. I was like, that's not something I can do and develop yeah. myself. But if I said yes and then failed at it well then I would think everyone hates me so like this is yeah. not a win-win I, I, no I get it and I you know I get it I get that social media is the marketplace where we go to to sell our way our wares mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where we go to sell our goods these yeah. days and and so it's like you you have to kind of be able to show up there I try to think of social media as the farmer's market and I'm like I'm happy for them to display their beautiful tomatoes on their cute little crate. I know we have to do that. Like, I know we got to go to the marketplace. Yeah. But at the same time, like what that does, the way that that marketplace is in your pocket 24-7, um, what it requires of you physiologically now, it it has not been especially good for my spiritual formation. Yeah. And my, my husband and I are having some serious conversations about whether or not I continue in this work because I'm like having to up my therapy. I mean, you know, like it's it's real. Like, And I think in some ways it might be better for my spiritual my spiritual formation to just kind of take a step back and not feel that pressure. And there are people that do it really well. And I've observed people that do well. I'm not saying social media is is inherently evil. I just know that for people like me who struggle with perception, um, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's a struggle. And I've, I've worked with authors, like incredible authors who literally will do a campaign around a book release, and then they mm-hmm. have to go and disappear for a little while yeah. because yeah. it takes the creative process and in and of itself is exhausting, right? Yeah. And yeah, you're trying to do all this and show up in all the places that you need to show up. But then it's, you have to really weigh, is this where I'm really supposed to be right now? Like, is this yeah. really yeah. what 
that I have to do and what do I have to give up to do it? And asking those kinds of questions, you know, when you're trying to make a decision of, is this really what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. Yeah. How, How did you navigate even moving into, I know that you switched from doing humanitarian work to, you know, staying in one place. How did you make these decisions and still feel like, okay, I'm still on point. I'm still on target. I'm still, you know, doing what I feel like God has specifically gifted me to do. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I know you did a, you did a podcast earlier this year about calling. I loved everything you said about that was so good that, that calling isn't so much about like, what's the thing you need to do? It's about who you need to become. And, and so I, I still think about vocational calling sometimes, but I think about it more in terms of stewardship. Like I have maybe an interest or I have a gift or I have an opportunity and I need to figure out how to faithfully steward that along with the other things that might feel more or mundane, but are, that are very real. Like, I am nursing a baby right now, and that matters. And so stepping into writing full-time as opposed to going into the office and doing humanitarian aid, this is going to help me steward this kind of motherhood mm-hmm. piece a little bit better. And so part of it was was shifting you know, out of the season of life of I'm not able to do as much international travel as much anymore. Being able to work from home has, has a lot of benefits. But it was also, it, so it was stewardship of family. It was also stewardship of message. It's like, I felt like I had this thing I wanted to say. And so then I'm filtering it through. Okay, why do I feel like I need to say this? Is it the attention I want from it? Is it, you know, and, and of course, it's it, it's hard to completely rid yourself of that. But, you know, you dig a little deeper and say, God, is this something you want me to share? And so then try to be faithful to steward that and then figure out, okay, well, what publisher is going to help me stewardship that? And what's the process going to look like? And um you know, I think maybe what's been helpful for me is write two book releases. I mean, it's just life. Like the day of the day I released Hole in the World, this was supposed to be this big celebratory. Is it? I actually went to a funeral of a friend that tragically passed away. And a, a couple of my other friends that were there were like, well, this feels on brand. And it was just a reminder that this is death is real and loss and grief are always present. This is why you wrote this book. And it was just once again, rather than that kind of celebratory achievement piece, it was like this grounding in the reality of life that even though it was hard, was helpful. For the second book release, the day after the release, I had a CT scan because of some health issues I had. Fortunately, I seemed to be in the clear, but it was just, you know, another one of those situations where it's like life is hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you don't ever reach this euphoric high where you you tick all the boxes and you've done all the things and you're perfectly unadulteratedly happy because of this awesome thing you did. Like you're still having to change diapers. You're still having to go to doctor's offices. You might be at a cancer ward. You might be at a funeral. That's just life. So how do I hold all of these things together and how do I steward it all? And in some ways, those two kind of difficulties that happened in coordination with my book releases was, was a gift. Mm-hmm. Like don't get, don't get too... Don't get too high and mighty. Yeah. About what you think what you think you're doing here. You yeah. know what I mean? It's and I mean we address when pride is why you're making decisions, right? Uh, you said, you know, it kind of was grounding to have to go get a CT scan or to have to yeah. go to that funeral. It was almost like, okay, I'm coming down here. Like it felt yeah. up here, yeah. but I'm going to come back down here. Yeah. What are some red flags that pride is making your decisions that you're saying yes or doing mm. things or pursuing things? Because of that little ego in all of us that is like, no, yeah, you should do this because, you know, you look better or it's a title or whatever. Yeah. I'm so glad you're asking me about this because I would say one third of my book is about how much we tie our perceptions of happiness to what people are going to think about us. 
So, and, and that's why I think discovering the blessing of humility has been so freeing. Not that I have fully arrived, but um, red flags. I mean, I think pervasive anxiety. I think that anxiety is a human condition. I don't think it's you're a, a sinful person or failed person because you feel uh, anxiety and concern. That's just that's just life. But I'm talking about the kind of anxiety that dominates your brain, that dominates your thinking, where you're constantly wondering, how's this going to be perceived? How's this going to be perceived? How's this going to be accepted? Am I do I look okay? Do I say that okay? When that is taking up, I mean, I think of my brain sometimes as like real estate. Like, is that taking up how much of the real estate in my brain is that taking up? When you are hesitant to spend your time doing things that are hidden. So you feel like your child needing yet another snack because they need snacks all the time. But your child needing another snack or a diaper change or, you know, a committee at church needing your input on something that's no one's going to see, no one's going to be able to reshare or like. If you find yourself aggravated by being asked to do all those things, but eager to say yes to the podcast or to the publisher or to the, you know, the platform or the, uh, the, the invite to the conference. When that's kind of how you're starting to make decisions about what you're going to do, I say that's a major red flag because Jesus, Jesus addressed this so clearly in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, the father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. Don't give to the poor so that everyone's going to notice you. Don't fast and look all derpy and droopy in public to prove that you're fasting and a holy person in front of people. Don't go on and on and on and on with your prayers. Do these things in secret. Go to the inner room. Like, wash your face. Like, <laughs> go wash your face for a go second. Wash your Get face. a hold of yourself. Speaking of book titles. I know. But it's just like, yeah. Um, you know, it's like, it, it's do these things in secret. People don't need to know. And if, whatever you're willing to do in secret, it's the hidden places where your character is proven, shines forth the strongest. And I believe God is there. Just like Jesus said, I think God is in those secret places when we show up faithfully to them and give them just as much weight as we give the big noticeable things. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you do you think some of the unhappiness is in the routines? Like in the mundane stuff? In the Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna I've got to get the kids up at this time. Then yeah. I've got to get dinner get thinking about dinner and I've got to yes. or you know, I've got to go to work and I've got to do this and I do this every day. Or do you think that some of our unhappiness is rooted in a rhythm or a routine and we think it should be more exciting. <laughs> yes. Or... Yes. No one tells you in college. Like, so I went to a small Christian college. So we were all like trying to find our calling, you know, <laughs> do big, big, exciting stuff for Jesus. And no one told me that like much of life is you're going to be like freaking Sisyphus rolling that boulder up that hill only for it to roll back down. Like how many times do I fry an egg in the morning for my kids? How many times, how many diapers are you going to change? How many times am I going to fold this same little tiny onesie over and over and over again? So much of life is showing up for the mundane duties that are part of being human and being in community and being family. And it might not feel that exciting. It might not feel that rewarding or it's not noticeable. Nobody's going to congratulate you for the pile of laundry you just fold. Except my husband is always like, great job. Like we're folding laundry together. We're like, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Great job. The, th the Folding that towel in thirds. You are, yeah. this is like we're staying at a hotel. You are yeah. doing great. Right. Exactly. But, it, it, <laughs> but it's kind of like we are kind of told that if it's boring, it's not good enough. If it's boring, it's not important. If you're bored in life, you got to make a change. If I, I was reading all these self-help books in preparation for writing my book. And somebody, I can't remember who, probably for the best, and I don't want to call them out publicly. But it was like said, you know, the, 
the, the, the greatest enemy to happiness is boredom. You must reject boredom at all costs. And it's like, no one would stay married. No one would stay with their children. No one would stay in a job. Like, we wouldn't do anything actually important in the long haul if we jump ship every time things get boring. And that, so, again, it's just that normalization of kind of what we see as unhappy feelings. Mm. Boredom is okay. Drudgery is okay. It's necessary. Frustration is part of life. Like, these things are wholly unhappinesses. And there's actually quite a bit of happiness to be found when we stay faithful to them. Do you, have you noticed a difference or could you, would you outline a difference? You might say these are the same things between a contentment and a happiness, like a, Mm. you know, like settled, but still unhappy. But, you know, like, would you, would you differentiate? Oh, I had so many paragraphs I wrote about the concept of contentment because that's, that's what, you know, a lot of people, when they read the title of my book, like, well, happy. Happiness is a fleeting feeling, whereas contentment is is like a deep inner joy in the Lord. And I, I actually think I kind of wanted to push back and say, hey, guess what? Sometimes we're not even content. Sometimes we don't have that deep feeling of inner joy in the Lord all the time. Sometimes it's elusive. And that's okay. Like I, I am like trying to make a case for why that is what lament is for. Lament is not for casual unhappiness that comes and goes. Lament is for that deep gnawing hole where that peace, where that spiritual joy was supposed to be, and it is not. So it, I, 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 so yes, I do think there. When I think of contentment, and honestly, even when I think of blessing now. I, I look back to the ancient Greeks as you do, you know, as, as we does. all, as someone with a philosophy major would, you know, <laughs> undergrad, it was undergrad. Let me be clear. But I think of the ancient Greeks and they thought of happiness as something you could really only determine at the end of your life to say, like, you look at the overall character of your life and and the direction that it took. It's not a feeling in the moment. And so that's that's kind of what I want to say is that, like, these ups and downs of the spiritual dejection or the spiritual emptiness or that lack of content, that restlessness, it doesn't have to determine the character of my life. I can still stay obedient. And I think we tend to just qualify things based on feelings in modern Western American culture, whereas I think the ancient Hebrews and, I dare I say, Scripture would qualify it based on obedience. And are you walking on in the way of Jesus? It is narrow. It is a narrow way. It is a narrow gate. It is a hard path. But are you still remaining faithful to that way? And I believe that that, in the long run, leads to the blessing of his presence, which is this, yeah, I guess it's semantics. You can call it contentment. <laughs> we could call it that. We'll call it that. We'll roll with I that. No, I have no qual problems with the, the concept of contentment. I just, I want to just kind of, again, push back because that's, again, that's exactly the message that I got was like, well, yes, you'll be unhappy from time to time, but in the Lord, you will be content. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that that's always true. I think maybe hopefully there is a pattern of contentment in the long run, yeah. but I just don't think it is always true in every season. Well, and you also know where and how to pursue that contentment. You might not be in it, but you also, uh, over time, and as you personalize a relationship with Jesus, because it doesn't always look the same for everybody, like Mm -hmm. what you Mm -hmm. do to grow that is way different maybe than what I do, but it doesn't mean either one of us are, you know, seeking that contentment. It's when we're seeking it, you know, outside of. Yes, exactly. And chasing things and titles and uh, you know, opportunity and a season of life, even chasing these things, thinking 
I feel better then. And we're yeah. on this wheel of maybe yes. this, maybe that, maybe this, maybe that. Yes, yes. Because it becomes less than about I want to feel good. I want to feel good. And it's just more about Christ. It just becomes more and more about Christ and the presence of Christ, which is what I love about the laments of Scripture is because they always turn back around to the character and the nature of God. That the lament, because it shifts from like, this is how I feel. This is me. This is what's going on with me. Back to who is God? This is who he so is. What? This is who he is. I just had a conversation the other day, and that's why someone said, well, what do you do when you're restless? Or what do you do when you're in this season of what the heck is going on? Yeah. And it's truly what I've had to do. I've had to just relearn the character of God. I've got to yeah. I've got to learn it again because it's not sticking. Yep. So we're going to take yep. it from the top and yep. we're going to do yep. it again. Yeah. You talked about these feelings that we trust so often, you know, that we're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. So I must be doing something wrong. Or yeah, yeah. this job, I'm not happy in it. So I should quit probably. It yeah, means yeah, that yeah. I'm not, how often we use that as like an escape route mm-hmm, out of mm-hmm. things. Yeah. How do you differentiate feelings and the Holy Spirit? Because I know, listen, you didn't see that coming, did you? What kind of a, I'm good to- <laughs> what kind of a podcast is this? How dare you? That was on no list that you saw. (laughs) No, no. Oh, it's all hard. It is hard. That is such a hard question. If I knew the answer to it and you and I discovered her here in this moment and you posted this podcast, then we, it's like signing out for the night, everybody. We We wouldn't have to build a following. My gosh, they'd all come running. (laughs) Yeah, they would, they would fall at our feet for our abundance of wisdom. Um, no, I, I, it's a hard question because our, our inclinations, our gut, like, you know, people say, well, trust your gut. I don't know. Our gut can be wrong. My gut's been wrong about a lot of things this last year. Mm-hmm. It's humbling, super humbling. But I think the best thing you can do is just grow in knowledge and wisdom when you're not trying to make decisions, you know, when you're just kind of in the everyday, formulate habits that help you grow in wisdom. Um, so that's going to be meeting with a mentor. That's going to be learning, you know, reading, reading books from, from people across the generation, Christians from, from 300 years ago, Christians in other countries, read the Bible, be in prayer, be around wise people as much as you can so that when the decision comes, you have that kind of well of wisdom to draw from. And it's not so much dependent on like, okay, let me just close my eyes and like see what the Holy Spirit has to say. And then I think when you do have big decisions to make or you are trying to discern if this is something in the Holy Spirit, oh gosh, get help. Ask other wise people who are who are willing to shoot it to you straight mm-hmm. and say, what what do you think? Because they're gonna they're gonna be some things where it's like, okay, clearly the Holy Spirit is if, if they're asking you to serve or if it's a character morality thing, it's like, okay, sure. that, that's a little easier to discern. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to like, you know, steal somebody's pie. He does want you to maybe bake a pie for somebody. That's the most okay. Appalachian <laughs> example. <laughs> I'm fixing to go make a pie after I get off this podcast. I have pie in my mind. He doesn't want you to steal someone's pie, okay? And make your own pie and then share the pie. But but sometimes, you know, sometimes it's more, it's like, do I buy this house or that? This house, do I choose this major or that? And these are kind of like morally neutral decisions. And then you think the Holy Spirit has a strong opinion on it. I would maybe argue that, I don't know, the Holy Spirit has a strong opinion on it. I think the opinion is on your character formation and on the moral decisions. But if you're just trying to use wisdom, then yeah, seek help, um, build those wisdom muscles um, every single day so that when you're faced with a hard decision, you can draw all from that. And that's, you know, it's funny. I think it comes from 
you said, you know, I made some gut decisions that were not great decisions. I think it. Yeah. this is like the suckiest answer because you're like, that's it. But it comes from experience, too, of like, mm-hmm. OK, yeah. I made this decision and I felt this way. And in hindsight, yeah. I see that yeah. I was like projecting some Holy Spirit on this that was not yes. there. Not there. But yeah. then when you yeah. get it right or not get it right, that's terrible wording. But when you look back and you're like, that was actually a really good decision that I yeah. made. Yeah. You can yeah. remember how did that play out? What did that decision look like? And you can mm-hmm. more so see. And it's so funny. Uh, not funny. This is not a funny example. My about, gosh, it's almost been a month ago. Um, my son was four months old and we, I took him to the ER thinking he was having an allergic reaction because his little oh, eyes gosh. were getting puffy. And I was like, this oh, isn't scary. normal, you know, but yeah. took him to the ER thinking they're going to give him some Benadryl and we will go home and we'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it went from zero to a hundred and they are like, they're like, this is not oh, gosh. an allergic reaction. We don't know what's going on. And it just, it got very scary and they That's wanted- scary you know, wanted me to make all of these decisions. And like you said, it wasn't necessarily moral decisions that mm-hmm. I was trying to make. Yeah. I had to make decisions that were way above my pay grade, I felt like, yep, to yep, be making. Yep. And yeah. we were in this room. The doctor walked out and was like, here's what we want to do. We want to admit him. And they want to do all these things to this little four-month-old baby, Amanda. And I was oh. like, there's just something about watching your baby, especially. Yeah. Like they're trying they yeah. want to do IVs. They want to do like a catheter. And you're like, no, he's a baby. Yeah. Yeah. And so my husband and I were sitting in that room. They, my husband was like, can you just give us a second to figure this out? Yeah. Because it was a yeah. Sunday. So we couldn't talk to the pediatrician that we trust. Oh, oh it always happens on Sundays, <laughs> no, right? doesn't it? So couldn't talk to the pediatrician. So literally, we're just trying to make these decisions. And I am just sitting there praying. Like, just we're sitting there praying over it. And it was one of those things where it was a marked, like, okay, I know what we need to do. We need to admit him. Yeah. We need to do this. Like, I know. And it's because I had been honing that relationship with yeah. that, with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit for so long yeah. Yeah. that, you know, scripture says, my sheep know the sound of my voice. Like, they yeah. know yeah. They yeah. know my yeah. voice above everyone else's. Yeah. But yeah. that only came from experience of, yeah. like you said, filling that wisdom tank and yeah. being able to pull from something. So those are the moments that you're like, Okay, I can di- differentiate a little bit. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, it's kind of like my husband and I, like we went early in our marriage, we had this rule that if you're going to spend over $50, you have to have a conversation about it. Because we're poor when we get married, okay? We don't have anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got to discuss it. And now it's like, I mean, we still kind of play by that rule, but we hardly have to ask each other anymore. He called me the other day and was like, we had to buy a new car or something. He's like, do you want this car? And I was like, you know what I want. You know, you know. What I would say to this. Why are like, you asking me? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, thanks. I guess you should probably ask your spouse before you yeah. buy a new car. But you know what I mean? Even big decisions now, we we, we, we kind of just know instinctively what the other person's values are, what their process is, what they're going to be weighing into the decision. And so everything just has much less stress around it because you don't go into a conversation blind. I have no idea what they're going to want. So get to know the Lord, get to know the ways of the Lord, get to know people who are walking in the way of the Lord and see what their life is like. And those kind of things help equip you when it is time to make hard decisions, you know, Mm -hmm. and then just be willing to, oh, sometimes we screw it up. Sometimes we don't make the right call or we make a really good decision and then other circumstances happen that make that decision look bad in hindsight. And you just got to have a ton of grace for yourself to say, uh, you know, I did the best I could with the information that I had at the time, you know, and yeah. and be okay with pivoting and saying, okay, what's next? Like, mm-hmm. what, what's what's the next step yeah. now? Yeah, you know, 
When you think back to Holy Unhappiness, the book itself, who did you write that for? In some ways, I wrote it for myself, for my young, young my younger self. And um, but I, I actually wrote it for there were a couple people I had in mind who were just kind of struggling with wondering why they were giving their lives in service to the Lord, set, made, making major sacrifices, serving in very difficult locations, and they still felt sometimes like something was missing or, or maybe this is a little more boring than I thought it would be or I'm not necessarily seeing the impact that I thought it would have. Also, it turns out the trauma of being exposed to some of this suffering is taking its toll on me and now I'm feeling like I'm not a strong person or I must be weak. Those are the faces I kept in mind as I wrote this book because I wanted to say, hey, this work is hard because A, work is hard. B, the world is hard. And it's not all about how you feel in the moment or whether or not you're getting noticed or praised for your work. And then I, I think it's it's also just to say like, yeah, it's the world is a traumatic place to live and suffering will eat away at you and give you a pain, a deep pain in your soul, even if you know the end of the story, mm -hmm. even if you know the goodness of God. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. That's what lament is for. That's what hope is for. Mm -hmm. You don't need, when everything's great, you don't need hope. You need hope in the darkness. You need hope in the waiting, hope in the sorrow, hope in the despair. And so they, they, that's who I wrote. That's who I wrote the book for. Yeah. And it's yeah. just such a such a comfort to know just because you're unhappy or unsettled yeah. it does not mean you're getting it all wrong. It exactly. Not, it does not mean that you're being punished in some way yes. or that there yes. is like this is a consequence to your actions. Like that in and of yes. itself is such a comfort to us people pleasers who are like, wait a yes. second. Oh, yes. Is, I'm getting something wrong because I don't feel great. Yeah. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I, I don't know if you remember how we end these episodes or not. But I love mm. to ask, what is something I think I do. that you're so happy someone did tell you about? What are you super into other than making pies? What do you love, right? Mm. Okay, so this is going to sound kind of niche, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have decided to read uh, only Appalachian fiction uh, this year because I feel like I feel like a lot of Appalachian fiction writers don't get the airtime that they need. And so I'm I'm fully committed. And someone told me about this book, Strange as This Weather Has Been. And I had never heard of this book. It was written by someone named Anne Pancake, who I'm certain I would remember her name had I heard it before. Also, it's a very and Appalachian name. It, well. Isn't it? Yes. I know. And it it is beautifully written, and so I'm I'm loving that book right now. Um, and there's a, been a couple others that, that I'm just like so glad someone told me about because I kind of had to post. I'm like, what book should I read? You know, I had to do yes. some digging. And um, so finding maybe more obscure books or books that aren't on the New York Times bestseller list that are just speaking to these deep places in my soul. Yes. That's what I'm really excited about right now. Is that an okay answer? I think it's a great kinda... answer. I kind of want to know what the books are now because I do love. There's nothing like the end of the day laying down in bed with a book before you go to sleep and so i'm looking for some reads so yes yes barbie king solver who wrote the very critically acclaimed demon copperhead which won the nobel prize um uh, or the pull not the nobel prize although it could have won that it could have pulitzer <laughs> it won the pulitzer she made a great list of appalachian uh fiction and nonfiction that everyone should read okay yet. i think my last question before i let you go is do you have half your jacket on right now i do because let me tell you <laughs> I turn, I turn the HC off because I didn't want, I'm sitting right under the bed. I didn't want to be like the whole time. And it turns out it's hotter than Hades in here. 
this. But I didn't want to like have to shift the mic around to take the other half off. I love off. this so Plus, much. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a shirt that I'm not quite sure how I feel about. So it's like kind of like the jacket like to cover it up a little bit. Yeah, because yeah, I'm like with the jacket is cool. Without the jacket, I don't know. I got it at a consignment store in the Netherlands. So I feel like I should. I know. I feel like I should want it, but I'm not sure I'm loving it. I like it. it. I mean, do you like I, it? I like the shirt. We got some stripes. I'm a stripe kind of girl, though. Like, I yeah, love something. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. do plain. The neckline is weird. Little, anyway, thank, thank I you just, for, for liking the shirt. Well, I just, I noticed just half your jacket there. And I thought, is she like sweating? What's happening now, here? So now, like, the left side of my body is cooled off. The right side <laughs> is... Uh, Still feeling a little toasty, but well, I can't um, think yeah. of a better way to end this episode, Amanda. You oh, are welcome. Been... That is the best way. <laughs> Always a riot with you. <laughs> okay, where can we find your newest book? Where do we need to go looking um, for it? You can find it anywhere books are sold. It is Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of the Blessed Life. And and I post about it and also post about Apple Watching Fiction on my Instagram, uh, which is Amanda Held Opelt. It's where you can find me on Instagram. I love it. What would most help you right now with your with book? Calling libraries, asking for it. What would help you right now? Yeah, well, I think authors always love, if you love a book, it's awesome if you can post about it or tell a friend or um, just help spread the word. I think people assume that like our publicist is doing that for us and they're doing hard work trying to do that. But really the way books are learned about is is word of mouth. Also I reviews. I'm, I'm supposed to ask for reviews. No. Which always Listen, makes you nervous. Podcasting like, is, you don't like it. is supposed to ask for reviews, too. I stopped that a long time ago. I was like, you know what? I don't care if you review it or not. I'm just showing up and yeah. doing what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's, it is, it's always a risk when you tell someone to review it because they might tell you what they really think. And you might not want to hear that. So. Like, just review it. I read something the other day. It was a meme. And it said, when I was asking for feedback, I meant a compliment. So yeah. I just... <laughs> Yeah, when I was asking for reviews, I was asking for a five star. Yeah, no <laughs> yeah. I love um, it. Oh, that's so fun. But yeah, that's oh, hey, so much fun. I'll let you go make your pie. What kind of pie are we making? Uh, listen, I am making a blueberry pie for the blue moon tonight. It is a full, it is one of, it's like a full moon, super moon, blue moon tonight. And so I'm making like a blueberry cream pie in honor of that. So. I love a theme. I do. I, I love a theme. I can get I on know, board. Love, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank so you I so love much. Guys, I love theme. We're doing the whole thing tonight. We're doing so. it all. Thank you so much, Amanda. I love Thanks, talking Callie. to you. Again.